You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Podcast. This is episode number 110 of East Central Indiana's favorite podcast. I'm Jeremiah Moore, joined by co-host Dakota Davis and a guy named Chase Payton. What's up? Today's episode features the very esteemed author and professor of economics at Indiana University Southeast, Mr. Eric Schonsberg. Did Sean- I say that correctly? Eric Schonsberg. Schonsberg. Okay. Uh, we are going to be talking to Eric about uh, mainly Andrew Yang, the Democrat presidential candidate who is proposing universal basic income. And we're uh, Eric wrote a really good paper about it, a really good article. Uh, so we wanted to bring him on to uh, give us some more insight into this uh, platform piece. And then uh, we will also be talking about the city of Newcastle closing its offices on Tuesday, May the 7th, which is the day for the primary election. So uh, make sure you stick around to the end for the little bit of local news, but we have a good show for you today. This show is about our lives in rural Indiana. We're here to push your boundaries and make you think as individuals. Sometimes we will provoke you. Other times we'll just make you laugh. Hopefully you'll always learn something new. Uh, very excited to be here with you guys. Uh, do you want to send some thank yous really quickly? Uh, we're getting all kinds of complaints in the Facebook chat. I, I assume producer Chris is efforting very hard trying to figure out what's going on. He looks uncomfortable, so I think he's, that means he's working. Um, Got to thank Chris Bilbrey, Brant Spicer, Christy Avery, John Phillips, and Craig DeCosta for uh, for helping us out. Chris Bilbrey, want to give you a special shout-out. Uh, you got the interview we haven't been able to do. I was out in California last mm-hmm. last Friday, but I saw that the uh, president, or the, vi- the president, the vice president, and Congressman Pence yes. all were together, and he actually got to meet Greg Pence. He's not just a cardboard cutout. He actually met him. He scored the, the very elusive congressman that we have not been able to get since the primary election. Uh, it's been... It's been a wild roller coaster. So, Chris, congratulations on that achievement. Also, uh, those people are on the Patreon uh, site that supports us and helps us pay our bills for this studio. You guys are all awesome. Um, if you want to sign up on Patreon, then the membership started only five dollars a month, and that is uh, that is of course how we how we keep this show going and how we keep it improving. Uh, patreon.com slash boss hog of liberty if you don't want to support monthly but you still feel like you should uh, give something to the show then we greatly appreciate that as well you can do it on the amazon wish list uh com, which are, has our merchandise stores and then of course we have a gofundme set up so that we can get a, a new and improved camera set up so that whenever eric is over here and he's talking about universal basic income and he's uh going digging down deep then we can have a camera set right up on him and you can really Really get into the show, so if you want to, if you want to help support that, then then uh, GoFundMe is the place to do it. All right, we're gonna let Guffy uh, Guffy get bailed out and have Dakota go over there and figure out what's going on real quick. Uh oh, with the uh, with the live feed and uh, Chase and I are broadcasting professionals. We will. Oh yes, uh, we will. We'll talk to Eric here for a few minutes and and carry the show. No worries whatsoever. Yes, Chase. Um, what's up, man? Welcome back. Oh, thanks. Your uh, your absence has is, been noted. Is my uh, suspension over? I think your suspension is over. Um, Sweet. W- we probably need to renegotiate your terms of employment. Okay. More money. Um, uh, Give me that moolah. 
we can we can offer to double your previous salary. Okay. And uh, deal. You have to. The problem is, is you have to stop cursing. You you use certain words before the eight o'clock number, and we we had an agreement. What if I take my old salary, but I can still cuss occasionally? I don't know. What do you think, Eric? Does that sound fair? I'd give him, give him another title. Yeah, uh, assistant to the host. Assistant to the deputy. Deputy. Regional assistant deputy to the regional manager. You you did want to be on sports. Did you prepare any sports for us tonight? As final thoughts, I can throw. Do you have draft together. analysis or anything? Yeah, uh, the you, Bears drafted a running back. Okay, you you brought us a, a welcome back gift. It looks like a. And it looks like the Colts. Such a good sports <laughs> section. Yeah, the Colts drafted some player I'd never heard of. The Colts traded out of the first round. So. Sure did. Right to here, the Redskins picked it up. Ooh. I'm going to be going to the Bears-Redskins game. Is that in Chicago? No, it's in Washington. Can when, I go? When are you going? Uh, I think it's mid-September. Why didn't tickets? I get an invite? I, I haven't even bought the tickets yet, man. Some of us like football. We actually this might is go. me telling you about it. All right. Oh, good news Why is... Why don't you ever reply in chat anymore? <laughs> He's that one guy in the group chat okay. that contributes nothing to the group chat. So when I got a regular amount of sleep, I still <laughs> never replied in the group chat he stealed it i still didn't <laughs> so anyways now that i don't get any sleep i see you guys messaging each other and i'm like i don't care <laughs> <laughs> i see how i see how uh, valuable our friendship is i respect that all right that's enough so hold on hold on hold on so i got a cool gift for myself since i've been working two jobs which i want to say screw all you guys that said i'd only last four weeks or two weeks, <laughs> or one week, because I'm on like 11 weeks. We're going to say 11. I, I'm not really I quite sure. I think, I think it's, it's double 10. digits. I'm what going was, at least 12 weeks. What was the bet? 10 bucks? I don't know. The sad thing is... Do you, have change, five. do you have change for a 10? <laughs> here's, the, here's $10. Congratulations on beating, on just, beating the number. Just put it down here. Maybe you so could, the sad thing is, if you're a good is guy, the one that believed to in me the most was Chrissy Avery. And you know my relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now, now I can quit. This is so uncomfortable. I, I just had to prove the point. We've I'm not even going to move this the rest of the night. All right, so I, I, I got a cool gift. All right. I got tickets to the Bears-Packers game. First game of the season on the 100th season of the NFL. Really? Yeah. Wow. Is that really in cool. Chicago? Yep. And, and who's going to that game? Me and my mom. Not bringing the girl? No. <laughs> <laughs> I told her I'd take her to Washington. She liked that better. There you go. She's been to Chicago. Yeah. Well, very good. We're glad to have you back for however long this lasts. Tonight. Yeah. If you drop <laughs> if you drop any more F words your first episode back, then I'm gonna have to suspend you again. I haven't dropped any F words yet. I, Does that, that mean I get that one? was the warning. No. You the first one, then you're off. French toast. We'll just have to. We'll just have to uh, mute you over there. Freedom dividend. All right. So, what was wrong over on the other side? What was broken? Uh, the 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 microphone input on the iPad was swapped, so it was. So we were just talking through the. Uh, yeah, this only the iPad was picking it yeah. up. It's fixed now. Everything's okay. All right. So let's talk to Eric. Uh, Eric. Uh, like I said in the Patreon portion, it's very handy whenever our, our guests have a Wikipedia page. Whenever I'm writing the show notes, if you're a Patreon member, you get uh, the show notes in advance, and there's a handy link on your name that leads to your Wikipedia page. I, kn- I knew about you uh, like beforehand, 
And then I'm reading the Wikipedia page, and I'm like, holy cow, this guy's done it all. Like he, you know, you, you he's done, run for Congress. He's an author. He's a noted economist. He's got it all. Yeah, he got it all covered. Well, and and you he have, was, he used to run in the Derby as a as a jockey. I mean, he's done it all. <laughs> yeah, he's a little too tall. Too tall. <laughs> yeah. World's tallest jockey, everybody. You, uh, but you have covered such a uh, eclectic group of topics, uh, and uh, and you've you've taught so many of them, written about so many of them. Tonight, we are focusing on universal basic income or the freedom dividend but you've uh you are an established author in in many areas um we could we could do a whole another two hours just you and i talking about the book of joshua because you have written a commentary on that as well i believe yes so it's uh where where did you uh where did you start where did you uh, uh first find your place that you love teaching and writing well um Hmm. I love teaching. I think I've, I've always loved to teach. So uh, whether it's board games or bridge or two-stepping or economics, so I think <laughs> there's just something in me that just loves to teach. When I ran for office, same thing. I mean, it was an opportunity to teach and have a nice forum. When you're running for Congress as a libertarian, it's a, it's a messaging platform, yeah. right? I mean, you, you probably weren't going to beat Baron Hill or, uh, Mike, or Sodrell, Mike Sodrell. Right. But it was an opportunity to to teach. Yeah, I told people it would take a second tier miracle for me to win this thing, <laughs> and uh, but I knew it was an opportunity to talk to people and yeah, you know, talk to talk to people about the issues. So you did so well. President Bush had to fly in to to yes. save those guys against you. Yep. Uh, one one little thing I, I'll never I won't know I guess until uh, heaven. But uh, the Republicans never talked about Planned Parenthood funding until I ran on that topic. So. And it was Mike Pence who actually made it an issue. He made it an issue, unfortunately, in 2010, I think it was, when they lost control of the House and, and couldn't do anything with it anymore. But uh, I, if I had a quiet moment with Mike, I, I would want to know, you know, did me bringing up the issue in 06 and 08, you know, taking taxpayer money to give to Planned Parenthood, uh, that didn't used to get talked about. So I may have had a little contribution there. If, uh, if Mike Pence ever comes on the show, we'll ask him. Yes. <laughs> and he may not know. But. It... Uh... Uh, for a long period of time, we, you and I talked before uh, before the show about the influence we've had as running libertarians or running as libertarian candidates. And a lot of our times, our ideas get stolen. Right, uh, a number of things that libertarians have advocated for over the over the course of the Libertarian Party uh, have become public policy, and not because libertarians were elected, but because the ideas won. Right. Um, so that's another another area where you govern- freedom of marriage, uh, ending the war on drugs. Um, uh, the- uh, sometimes immigration uh, reform, things like that. It, sometimes not bombing people is popular, depending yeah. upon <laughs> depending Stop upon who's using not in my tax money to kill people. A great historical countries. example. I, I forget which year. I think it's 1928 that the the Socialist Party, their entire platform became law within the next decade in the New Deal. And so I, I always take that as a bit of an inspiration. You know, you don't <laughs> yeah. have to win anything. I mean, the Socialists have never gotten more than a million votes, uh, uh, but but they were able to influence policy tremendously. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to win, uh, to win a lot, to build the party, all those things. But the, the fact is people just don't pay that much attention to politics. It's a rigged system. I mean, we are really have an uphill battle in a lot of ways, but if we can influence the debate, I think it can, can make a big difference. And when you get on the stage and you get, a, you get on the platform, it's some, some places and some races you get treated differently. Right. Uh, you know, in, in Indiana, uh, thankfully, we have uh, 
ballot access as libertarians, but we also have automatic, uh, because of the Indiana Debate Commission, any statewide debate that's out there, um, our candidates for governor and Senate get included. Congressional, it depends upon who's organizing a debate. Sometimes if a local media outlet is there, they'll include the libertarian candidate. Sometimes they won't. It's, yeah. a, it's kind of a it's, it's case-by-case situation. Yeah. So you'd asked about writing also, so that's another opportunity. So you, know, you were talking earlier about Rex writing those articles and how Absolutely. much that helped the, the local parties uh, it's obviously a great opportunity to, to raise awareness of certain issues. So for a long time, I've written, you know, books and journal articles and kind of the official stuff, but I've always uh, been, had my fingers in the op-ed, you know, pile as well. Cause I, th- I think people read that stuff. It can influence uh, the debate and it lets people know we're out there and get some thinking about stuff. And right. with, with your position as a, uh, as an educator at, you know, at, at IU, uh, you're very likely to get published, and I know just in in April you had a uh, you had one on college admissions that, that was very very influential and interesting, uh, and then the one that uh, probably got you booked today uh, is this conversation about the freedom dividend or universal basic income. Yeah, so uh, we how, had a how many yeah. papers do you do you get published in on average? If you send something out, is it ten or twenty, or is a lot of the local small paper like the 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 county papers? I don't, uh, I send my stuff through. Uh, there's an organization called Indiana Policy Review Foundation out of Fort Wayne, and they distribute all the local papers. So I, I think it's dozens that we get into. So occasionally we get into, say, the Indy Star, the Courier Journal, uh, Business First. I, I had a Wall Street Journal article like a decade ago that was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, but it just gets sent out, and you know, every once in a while I'll get a, a Google hit, you know, yeah. saying my name popped up in Spencer, Indiana, or something like that. <laughs> so I think it shows up in lots of places. So the Wall Street Journal, you didn't try to get it in there. No, we just, did. Okay, you, yeah, you said did. submitted it to them and asked. It was actually on the property tax thing back here in uh, 2007. So the Wall Street Journal wants either quirkier things or things of local interest that can be a national story. So the property tax fight uh, back in 07 was a big deal. Right. That's a, that's what we've built our model on: <laughs> local issues and national impact. That's uh, that's exactly what uh, th- what the show has Wind evolved farms. into. So, think, you know. You know, I love being a teacher. I, I teach vocationally. I teach as a career. And uh, there's a discipleship curriculum that, that we put together. And uh, you know, one part of that is working with people to become teachers. And sometimes the, they will say, well, I'm not a teacher. And I'll say, well, first of all, you don't know what you're going to be in the future, what God might do with you. But second, we're all teachers. Yeah. You know, and how, I think, do, how do you know? What does that mean? Yeah, right? and, yeah. and we're, we're all teaching kids. We're teaching right now. And so we should become better teachers as libertarians. It's not just a matter of, you know, uh, knocking on doors. I mean, all that, all that stuff's important, but we need to get more effective at explaining ourselves to people. And that's what the heart of teaching is. So teaching and writing, I think are, are both opportunities that if we'll, you know, work on it and get better at it, we can have a greater influence. The, the reach of, it, I feel very blessed to be in the era we're in now. Or we can have an idea and start a podcast, mm-hmm. and, and people are listening in their cars as they drive across the country, and they're watching on they're watching on their TVs right now with Facebook Live, and they're watching with YouTube, and you know, and it, it, there's just so many different platforms to consume uh, consume this. It's it's phenomenal, uh, and it's it's peer to peer. It's not it's not filtered from the top down from two or three networks anymore. Now it's everybody everybody is a network, and everybody has a communication platform. Yep. Do you get the reach necessarily? No. Before, uh, you know, you had to write a book and then you waited on your fellow scholars to write a response to that book in a separate book, right? And now 
Now we just get online and we go, your idea is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the bad news is there's so much out there, right? So if you can't, you feel like you get drowned out yeah. sometimes. So it's, yeah. Yeah, there's more competition and competition is a good thing, but it, it does make it more challenging. The quality getting, reaching a certain level to, to, to stand out is difficult. So yeah. what is it like as a, as a writer now, if you write a book or are, are they self-published? Do you, how I've, does I've done both? Yeah. Um, yeah, really. If you're, you know, unless you're going to hit a, hit it big, uh, even the small, even the the mid sized publishers, unless they're going to promote your work, it really doesn't make much of a difference. So it really is self promotion at the end of it. And uh, so we've self, uh, I've self published quite a few things uh, in terms of books, and then you just get exposure where you can, and you just start sending book boxes of books to Amazon and cross your fingers and. And see how yeah. it all shakes out. I mean, without reviews, I mean, it just doesn't doesn't go anywhere. Or radio appearances, or things like that. To you know, or, or speaking, you know, you have opportunities to speak at conferences, that sort of thing. So, what's the yeah. current book right now? What are you peddling? Uh, the, the the discipleship stuff. We've had this discipleship curriculum for 16 years. We uh, it's a the initial program was uh, 21 months long. People study about five hours a week, meet weekly to talk about what they've been studying. Uh, gr- small groups of 12. and uh, But there's a whole process behind it where you're trying to take someone from uh, a new believer all the way up to someone who's a, you know, a disciple of Jesus and an effective disciple maker. And what does that take to be, a, say, an elder in a church or to lead a group of ninth grade boys and answer questions in you know legitimate fashion instead of diverting attention uh, to, to baseball or something? Uh, so there's this whole a process. a really big problem in the modern in the modern church, yeah, especially yeah. more conservative churches, they don't know how to talk to to Young any people. any youth about really like the serious problems that they're facing uh, because it's got such a stigma of being awkward or uncomfortable. Yep. Right. So the Bears took a running back, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I got to see Dakota Davis preach a sermon before he became an atheist. <laughs> I'm not an atheist. I know. How dare you? <laughs> so, I call myself a uh, reformed Messianic Jew. Wow, that's quite a quite a mouthful there. It's a very, I, I, very would, I, I would have just called. Yeah, I would have always just called myself a Quaker until I took an ancestry test and realized that I'm twelve percent uh, Ashkenazi Jew. So wow, yeah, okay. Now it's messianic, right? So we have a book called uh, <laughs> "Enough Horses in the Barn," and it's about that process because you talk to church leaders and, and we're like, "Do you have enough competent people to help you lead?" And ministry, and they're like, no. We're like, well, how are you going to get get enough horses in your barn? How are you training them up? And so, uh, but back to reviews, we had a review in World Magazine, and all of a sudden, boom, hundred copies get sold. And so, you know, and then that generates other activity. But without that review, you know, that's that's I wouldn't sell those hundred copies. So right. So you okay? Um, this was interesting from your Wikipedia page. Uh, you have a PhD from Texas A&M in economics, right? But it, you did your dissertation on determinants of congressional tenure and uh, term limits. Yes. What did, what did that What did that dissertation look like? Yeah, so I, I was really fortunate, again, very providential to have a dissertation advisor who uh, looked at what I was interested in, which was, which was public choice economics, which is the marriage of political science and economics out of George Mason University. They had the Nobel Prize winner. So he kind of looks at my background and he's a labor economist. So he's trying to figure out how can I apply labor economics to something that'll interest this student. He did that for all the students in his class. He picked topics. And so we dove in, we started doing research 
And so I was applying uh, these statistical methods to try and uh, analyze how long people were staying in Congress. And uh, the, the, the biggest, the punchline of it, we, we, I looked at term limits. We eventually turned into uh, what's called the culture of spending hypothesis, which is the longer people stay in D.C., do they tend to vote for more spending? which is pretty hmm. interesting. That is and that, interesting. And that's part of the motivation for term limits, right? Is that the longer you stay, if you become acculturated to spending more, maybe we should send you home earlier. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but the coolest, um, I think the coolest result we had uh, in there was the uh, federal election campaign reform in 1974 had uh, promised to make things more open. And what we found instead was not surprisingly, it made it harder for challenges, challengers. It put limits on what they could spend, right? The stuff we talk about all the time now. And so the first four terms, representatives were coming back at an 80% clip. And then after the reform, it went up to 90%. So they became a lot safer after the reform. Okay. And so that was the kind of the cool result. But they were basically rigging the laws, yeah. whether they knew it or not, they were basically rigging it in a way that made it harder for them to be replaced. Yeah. That's really interesting. Do, is that published anywhere online? That yeah. I, so that's, okay. uh, yeah, there's uh, academic papers back in the early 90s. That was some of my first publications. You just Google your name, and there are so many different uh, writings and topics that come up. I really liked it. Like, you, It's a shame that you live so far away. Otherwise, you'd be <laughs> on here much more often. <laughs> you need to go visit your son at yeah. Ball State more. <laughs> well, so, Justin, uh, Justin Stevens, who I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with, uh, he, he's in the chat, and he says, the first yard sign he ever had was an Eric Schantz that's right. Congress sign. Justin cut his teeth in my campaign. We were talking about Christianity. We ended up talking about politics, and he's gone on to a, a nice career with uh, Americans for Prosperity and some other stuff. But um, yeah, Justin's a good good buddy. The uh, as we were talking, uh, a headline I saw this week uh, came to mind. Uh, Kristen Gillibrand is running for Senate. There's 22 Democrats running for running for president right now, and we're going to talk about Andrew Yang and his in one of his policy proposals. Uh, but once again, before we went on the air, Eric and I were saying everybody's got these new – when there's so such a crowded field, you have to have a reason, you know, a hook, something that makes you stand out, whether it's raising money or having having the background or the resume or these policy positions that uh, that will hook you. Uh, and Kristen Gillibrand, the uh, senator uh, from New York State, uh, she's wanting to change uh, public election funding uh, and <laughs> she's going to raise the taxes, raise taxes to do this, to fund it. But basically give you, every individual in the country, a $600 voucher right. that you can give to any candidate you want to to pay so, for elections publicly. W what is interesting about that is that is actually um, something that Andrew Yang brought to the table first. Did he? Hmm. Yeah, talking to he except his was $200. He wanted to give $200 uh, for to every American citizen over the age of 18 that was going to be voting, and they could give it to... Uh, it's like uh, a voucher or a token yeah, system. Yeah, a... a a political candidate. But uh, the difference between the two of theirs is Andrew Yang says you can give it to any candidate. So you could give it to Chris Guffey for city council ward three in Newcastle. You didn't have to give it to a national candidate, okay. right? So I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, uh, if, if we decide, okay, we're going to completely eliminate any sort of corporate and the only money that we can put in, there's no PACs, there's nothing but individual donations. And that's we're going to have hard election reform, and the only thing you can do is an individual can do six hundred dollars federally. That's it, and there's nothing else out there. Okay, I you got my attention. I'm I can yeah, I can get yeah. behind that, and I can Re understand reform it. that. But <laughs> but it's not your money, right? That's the hook. As I, and I'm reading the article, and I'm like, 
holy hell, this proposal is they just give you 600 federal dollars and yeah. you pick anybody you want to give it to. Yep. So it's, that's the problem. Uh, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it is wild. Uh, that's uh, the wild I, west. You had my, my attention and then you, and then you, you crushed my, spirit. my favorite comment on that story was a gentleman that said, how about we just have a system where every person gets to write down the name of the, the candidate they think is best. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that would yeah. never work. Wow, look at that, huh? <laughs> You're only allowed to have there's only two names allowed. There's the Democrat name and the Republican name, and that's it by the time mm-hmm. by the time you get to decide. So you uh Eric, I um I I guess because of uh, uh my intru- my specific interest in uh the mold, more old testament theology, mm-hmm. uh I wanted and you did a, that commentary on the book of Joshua. Yes. I wanted to know if you see any overlap between your economic views, which you have your PhD in, and, uh, of course, your um, writings in the biblical sphere. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, my faith is really important to me. I mean, Jesus has just changed my life. I I would be, I'm sure, a solid citizen, but I'd be a bit of a jackass as well, and so he's rubbed (laughs) rubbed a lot of rough edges off, so uh, really thankful for that, and uh, so that's, you know, it's crucial to my life. And then I've got my vocation and my interests, all these things. And of course, religion and politics go together. You know, when I talk in public, sometimes I say, we're, you know, we're going to talk about religion and politics. And if that gets boring, we'll talk about money and sex after that. <laughs> of course, really, the joke, the joke there, right, is that religion and politics never gets boring. Right. Um, so how do you put those things together? And, and what you find is Christians and non-Christians, whatever, again, people just don't think that much about politics. They have this dog's breakfast kind of set of views and a little bit of religion and kind of, you know, they're mowing their lawn and then they hear some story about Gill and Brand. They're like, yeah, that sounds pretty good, you know, and that's that's kind of how people do it. And it's just this dog's breakfast of just garbage. Um, and then you get, you know, Christians, for example, who then take, say, the scriptures very seriously or have a, a certain aspect of God as justice or something, and if they're very serious about it, well, then it's easy to make some some basic mistakes like, well, that's wrong, so there ought to be a law against it, or that's right, so let's mm-hmm. let's mandate it, you know, let's take care of the poor. Uh, we're commanded to take care of the poor, therefore... The force of government should yeah. be the way we do or, it. Or, you know, you shouldn't yeah. have lap dances, therefore there should a, be a law. So a it's problem really, with legislating the morality. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so you just... And, and it's not, that's not just a specifically Christian problem, but Christians are fairly prominent in that. And, and uh, so as a Christian, it, it was really important to me to figure out, look, what is the role of government? And um, I was becoming a libertarian at the same time out of kind of a standard... GOP background and uh, the, the the war on drugs, I think, was the biggest one for me. The, you know, Mark Twain said, if you're going to swallow two frogs, swallow the biggest one first. And so the war on drugs is a big frog. I mean, once you swallow that one, you're like, okay, you know, anything goes pretty much <laughs> after that. But I just couldn't make the case, you know, all the uh, costs that are imposed on innocence by the war on drugs. I was like, I just can't advocate that as a Christian. I can't mm-hmm. tempt that inner city kid to deal drugs. I can't, you know, cause unrest in Colombia because of my views. I mean, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. And, and, and uh, furthermore on that, I think that it, it, you have people who get thrown into this system of maybe they are a small time weed dealer or something because they need more money. They, they've hit a, uh, a rough place or they've been dealt a rough hand or what have you. And then they get thrown into the, uh, our legal system and all of a sudden they're in prison with rapists and murderers and true violent criminals 
people that we are afraid of, so we put them in cages. And th- this guy is like, holy crap, I was just selling a plant for my house. And now he has to become the violent criminal in order to survive in that type of environment. Yeah. I so, think our three biggest policies are our welfare, education, and, and the drug war. And they really go all together. I mean, with welfare policies, we'll pay you money uh, if you have kids and you're not married. Okay, great. So now we're setting up a lot of single parent households, which causes, you know, the, the data are very clear. I mean, you can escape from that, but it's not a good way to, to, to raise kids right. uh, generally. Uh, now we'll put you in a government-run school system with tremendous monopoly power over people with few resources and uh, some family struggles and good luck to you, right? So a lot of people escape uh, with a ninth grade education. And that will tempt you uh, with, uh, you know, you can sell drugs at age 15 or you can work at McDonald's if you wait another year. Uh, and it's just too tempting. And, and then we'll, now we'll throw you in prison. Uh, and so if you look at, you know, what government by the, does. By the way, we're going to steal 20% of your money when you start going yeah. to work. If you happen to yeah. escape if, that it, legitimately. Yeah. yeah. If we'll you go to McDonald's, money. we're going to take your money. Yep. Uh, but if you just go sell, you know, sell drugs to your buddies, you can. Uh, it's tax free. You, you can be an entrepreneur and nobody knows about yep. it. Yep. Yep. So I, I just think we, you know, when you start thinking about from a, a Christian or Jewish, any, any kind of perspective, right? God is a God of justice. And especially in the Christian tradition, uh, protecting the marginal is really important in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, the alien, the stranger, the, the poor, the marginal, the widow, the orphan. And so when you have policies that are just trampling the, the marginalized in society, that's just, that's unacceptable. And so, you know, just thinking from a Christian perspective, what is the role of government? What should government quit doing to harm so many people? Uh, and so that just became, you know, an obsession. I don't know. I, I just, I was like, I have to get this straight in my head. What should government be doing? And many times, so there's many times where you have a great idea, right? You know, it, this is what we like in government. This is what they should do. We should, we should outlaw, you know, we should outlaw murder, whatever, whatever the, I, whatever the goal is, um, and ultimately, for libertarians, it comes down to force and fraud. So if there's violence involved, that's where government needs to get get it, get in that space. But otherwise, it should be left to the private sector or individuals to work these things out for themselves through property rights or mutual associations or um, or just through individual conflict. Um, I've got another essay coming out next week. It's entitled The Meatloaf uh, Theory of Government. And uh, it started with me thinking of two out of three ain't bad. And that when I ask people, you know, when should the government get involved? It's, it's, it's got to pass three tests, constitutional, ethical, and practical. So it's got to be in, in line with the Constitution. It's got to be ethical. So back to your point about force and fraud. When should I use the government to mess with you? Well, force and fraud. And then practical. I think a lot of people skip this step. Even if it's constitutional and ethical, if it's not going to work, don't do it. And with the government... Two out of three, three wouldn't be that bad, but usually the government gets none or one out of three. <laughs> so I advocate the meatloaf test. You know, if we could just get two out of three, that wouldn't be too bad. Meatloaf Chase was a was an artist. <clears throat> I love meatloaf. <laughs> like not with, the artist, but just with, the food. With ketchup on it, yeah. Meatloaf is one of my favorite foods. Uh, Guffy, are you okay. familiar with meatloaf, the artist? Do you not uh, like meat? Oh, you got. I, I love meatloaf. It's I was going to agree with you. Yeah. Okay. yeah, it's one of my favorite foods. Meatloaf to ours is, is just okay. Yeah. Bad out of hell. I mean, there's, 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 good, there's good stuff there. So I'm thinking with a meatloaf test, right? So back to teaching and writing, I'm really happy with that essay, right? Because that's going to be an earworm for the people that yeah. read it. They're going to be singing that song and they're going to be thinking <laughs> of that essay that <laughs> I wrote. Two out of three. But back to your point, I think, you know, 
government, people aren't thinking about the ethical part of government. When is it cool for me to bring the force of government down on you? Right. If you're eating too much pie, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, if you're raping somebody, right? I mean, where, where's that line where you go, okay, it's time to bring the government in. And then, and then this practical test, when is it going to work? Cause people are all the time imagining government programs as they hope they'll work, not as they're actually going to work. So many, so many times it, for me, it becomes, I, I've got a lot of friends that are in law enforcement, they're our local city police department, our sheriff's department. And in the, the filter I use is, is it worth putting them in harm's way? Mm-hmm. Is this, is this activity so important that they need to be in conflict? Because ultimately anytime we pass an ordinance or we pass a law, it leads to violence because they are the, where the rubber meets the road. And that's where we have to be sure, you know, is that $25 seatbelt ticket really that important that mm-hmm. we need them? You know, the, the, the sheriff sent something out in our community this week saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to step up enforcement. We're going to create these situations of conflict where we're going to put them in, you know, you don't know what's going to be inside of that car. You don't know how they're going to react or what's going to happen. Um, you know, if, if we have a code enforcement, we're going to have somebody show up and they're going to, you know, eventually the sheriff has to serve that. I know that they sign up for it and that's the responsibility and that's the reality of the job. But if you can avoid putting people in that situation because it was an unnecessary policy, then let's side with that. That's right. that's the filter I, I use very often. Uh, and it's I think it's somewhat simple to understand. Yeah. I think we can get better at asking those kind of questions of people. You know, and some people will respond more to the ethical part of it, the force and fraud points you made. Other people they don't share our values on that. Right. They're perfectly fond if, listen, of helping if you, you live your life. If you um if you're not doing anything wrong, you have nothing to worry right. about, right? Th- those kind of people. Yeah. So then I think you go with the practical arguments. Okay, how's this really going to work and and try and score points that way. Very good. Dakota, what what's going on over there, buddy? What, how, we haven't done a show in over a week and it's starting to feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> the video, the video connection keeps, uh, we're having Mevo going out, but we're fine with the, we're fine with the audio. We're going to have to so start we're, we're all over. Keep going. We, we will not start all over. No. We're a podcast first. It's the a, video is a, um, it's a bonus. Um, and 90% of the time it works every time. There was a update that was available nice. for the Mevo camera and, uh, we chose uh, not to because when yeah. we take them update, Usually it breaks two other things. No, usually we're okay with it with the update. It just it, they usually give and take something away, <laughs> but uh, we didn't update this time, and I think that that is a problem. I think that they don't like the fact that we didn't update, so they're just not going to let us stream. So, so, but we're we're okay, and we're going to graciously and smoothly uh, transition, transition into whatever into, no. whatever Chase is trying to do. Eric, <laughs> what's your favorite book of the Bible? Oh wow! The book he wrote a commentary on on Joshua. <laughs> I I thought it'd be Joshua, but I, I wouldn't ask. Is that how you say? Is that how Joshua is in Hebrew? Yeshua. Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. As far as I know. Um. Wow. I would have to pick Genesis. I think. Uh, hmm. It is so so it's rich. Got a bunch in there. What yeah. is yours? Philemon. Philemon. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Only because I, okay, I went to a Christian school like all my life. And I read you, this. You're the one guy here that went to Liberty University. I mean, you've got street yeah, you, cred. You in do this have university. street cred. <laughs> in, in, in I also world. got kicked out of Liberty <laughs> University. So, so uh, anyways, I read this kid's book when I was little, and it was loosely based on the book of Philemon, so I've just always liked that one. But my, no, uh, I have several f- favorite books of the Bible. My my favorite is Job, the Job. book of Job, yeah. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm also really big into Stoic philosophy, and that is the book of Job is the epitome of... Uh, 
of reacting it with reason and not emotion is we play this game where dakota mispronounces words he's read and and i try to pretend did you mean epitome what (laughs) i said no the epitome am i am i the only one i'm looking around it's it's epitome yeah yeah Uh, there's not there's not a word huh that's all right Really? I've heard we people say epitome, yeah. and I'm pretty sure it's too. been Dakota every time. <laughs> Has it? It's a great word. But. <laughs> That's all right. I see, me. I do all he these things. He does this like once a month, and I go, what? Are, how did yeah. you get this far there, in life? There and are a lot of things that I write away. down and I read, but I've never, I never say out loud. Mm-hmm. I, this is confession time. What? I was a young boy. And I didn't know any better. And your father took you into the city? No. See March. I read I read I read the, <laughs> my very first book that cussed. And I was I didn't know how you spelled the word damn. So I'm reading uh-huh. this book and I'm like, damn. 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 I didn't know I I was so confused. Yeah. So I I I understand. But I learned when I was about eight. So the fact that you're twenty four years old and we're we're having this conversation now. I thought that the epitome of I thought I literally thought that <laughs> epitome and epitome were two separate words. Well, what do you think epitome meant? I thought it was like the uh, the adjective version. I thought they were like this, they had the same <laughs> definition, but they were used in two different contexts. Brian Regan does a really th- funny thing on uh, hooked on pahonics. <laughs> <laughs> trying to do a commercial for that. So. Ah, I like that. Yeah. That is me. Yeah, yeah. that's for sure me. <clears throat> <laughs> the yellow one is the sun. I'm bad with words. <laughs> All right. Well, that made my night. So thank you. I I if you can't I beat up on we, your friends, we need a good we need a good clip of that. I think because uh, I had I usually I'm I whenever that happens, I'm like I don't know that I've ever said this. So I think about it first. And I'm like ah, I'm just gonna say it like this, and then I get and then I get called out, and I'm like ah, that was wrong. <laughs> But that time, I was—I legitimately had no idea what you were talking about. Whenever you called it out, I'll be honest. I was like fifty-fifty. I was like, I don't know who that's a word. So you were like epitome, and I was like, no, different word, man. <laughs> <laughs> I the best part is I've we were in each other's weddings, right? We've got this connection now, and I just I know when I've got him on the hook, and I he yeah. it's well, oh, it's fun. Made yeah, my night. I had no idea. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to get that right because it's been. It's You've been stuck saying in it in a certain way so long. Yeah, damn man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> One more thought on Genesis because I can tie that back into family. I mean, when you're reading Genesis, you realize that God's trying to work out family stuff. I mean, it's sibling rivalry all the way through. He's got Abraham. You know, if you get to the end of Genesis, it's a nation or it's a nation about to be. But it's as if God's saying, "Look, if I can't get the family right." I can't get the nation right. And so I think that's a really important consideration that, you know, we talk about politics, but culture, society, you know, we could have, you know, if we don't get family right and all the problems that go with that, then this other stuff is just, um, you know, window dressing. Yeah. Nothing else matters if you can't start there. All right. Let's, let's transition grace. So when's the commentary on Genesis coming? Uh, might I be inspiring. Abraham's. <laughs> I hope to write on that. I, I I believe the R.C. Sproul. He he did commentary on the whole Bible, and I think that Genesis is like is two or three really large books. Yeah. It's Andy, such a long. Andy book. Horning <laughs> annotated the Constitution. You could always annotate the Bible. 
I know Ken Ham worked a lot on Genesis. But. <laughs> well, two two, two <laughs> chapters of it. <laughs> yeah. That's all he cares about. All, all right. right. A- Andrew Yang. Uh, this is the uh, the column that came out a couple weeks ago, probably three weeks ago. Uh, Andrew Yang is a, uh, I guess they're calling him an entrepreneur. Uh, younger guy. He's probably the second youngest mm. uh, fellow running as a Democrat amongst the 22 major candidates. Uh, and he came up with this plan. He, he adopted this plan. I don't think any, any idea. It's been around 50 new. years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this goes, is this Rothbard goes back all the way back to, or Friedman, Friedman, I mean, Friedman. No, Friedman, maybe before that, but, uh, and basically it is from on the libertarian side. We've said, this is where you eliminate the welfare state. You completely get rid of or the, transform it or you, or you transform yeah. it. So instead of having individual programs, we just universally, every adult gets a check. No matter if you make a thousand dollars a year or five hundred thousand dollars a year, you this the plan that Yang has is anybody eighteen years old and over would get from the federal government a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you there was in your article and we'll link to a, a version of it. Uh, you're saying anybody twenty one years and older, you you actually think this has got some it holds water. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Andrew Yang because I think I think he's worth talking about. Uh, Charles Murray there, has a nice little book on this. That's actually how I got into it. Our econ book club on campus, someone suggested the book and the idea. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And it's like a 90 page book. It's a very easy read if you want to check it out. I should have uh, remembered the name of the book, but um, if you just Google UBI and Murray, you'll find his book. So I, I definitely recommend that. Um, I th- you know, it's interesting to think about how do you motivate it? There's lots of things. I mean, the first thing to say as a libertarian is this is all conditional on us being in the welfare game, right? So I'm, I'm not advocating welfare as a libertarian per se. I'm just saying, look, if we're going to do this, if, if government and society has decided we're going to do this thing called welfare programs, this is a, bu- a much better way to do it. So just make sure the caveat is out there that I'm not advocating the UBI in a vacuum. I'm just saying in in the context we find ourselves in. In, in the pragmatic world right. where libertarians hold zero seats in Congress. Right. This, this would is, be a great improvement. Yeah, this right? is a directional solution. I think the other thing, he, uh, Yang has this analogy. He talks about how you know, people in Alaska receive a dividend from oil, right? Yeah. And so they receive a check. And I think that you know, the economist lingo here would be a positive externality, that if, if society is producing all these positive byproducts, uh, you spill those out to people, and I think you could motivate it uh, from from economics that way. Uh, Yang's concern specifically is about technological advance and what that's doing, and he has uh, greater concerns than I have about the pace of technological advance. But he sees this as a true safety net for people that he envisions being displaced. So he cites the truckers, for example, and just mm-hmm. imagines that in the next five years there's going to be hundreds of thousands of jobs gone. And I, I just, that's not the way markets typically work. He could be right, but I'm not nearly that apocalyptic. But that's where Yang is coming from to be really excited about this. And he, he is equating this, this coming uh, the robotic or technological revolution, so to speak, to the industrial revolution, right. which, of course, uh, we know was in some ways catastrophic. Um, it, in some ways, you could make the argument that it led to the direct rise of the Soviet Union and uh, not adapting to this modern era. So he's worried that that's going to happen in the United States. That's possible. But more violently because there's more people with more to lose. Right. Um, and yeah, he does cite the truckers a lot. He yeah. cites um, uh, all the people in fast food, retail workers, um, one in, interesting in tidbit. our area, the 
the manufacturing base, right? We've yeah. seen, we've seen, we, once again, as we were talking before the show went on the air, we should really just record the whole, the whole place anytime there's a conversation around here. The, <laughs> if we just bought ourselves an Alexa, it would all be recorded by Amazon <laughs> yes. for our benefit. Um, but the city of Newcastle, our community, is an old UAW town. So there used to be thousands of jobs with Chrysler here. Those jobs have moved outside of this area for different reasons, modernizations, labor contracts, uh, other markets being able to service those jobs mm. better. You don't need as many hands doing it. All of these factors are what leads to the thinking about a universal basic income. Yep. Yeah. And, and oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was just, I was just going to say uh, that uh, Yang does make the point that the American truck driver uh, or trucking companies are the largest employers of high school educated men in the United States. Yeah. Uh, so that is a, that's a huge portion of the population. I mean, we all, I think probably everybody in this room knows at least one or two truckers, right? Uh, it's, it is an extremely common profession yeah. and for, and he does have legitimate concerns. If all those go away, then, um, it's like the, the, uh, Twitter joke of of learn to code, right? Yet you're going to tell a high school educated man that's been driving a truck and uh, all of his life to all of a sudden learn something as complicated as coding or, or something to do with technology. It's that seems unrealistic yeah. from a, a real pragmatic point of view. Um, and so the question is how, how quickly our market's going to do that kind of adjusting. And his concerns are greater than mine on that. You know the markets are going to adjust. Is, you know how much is is the question there? But I just want to make the point that's what's motivating his concern uh, on that policy issue. And I want to say a couple other things about Yang because we may get off of him pretty quick. He's worth listening to. I mean, he's um, he is a policy guy, and I mean, anymore it seems like both major parties are more about power and politics than policy. So I appreciate anybody. Uh, who's going to talk policy. So yeah. I deeply appreciate what Yang's doing. And the other thing is when you hear an interview with him, he belly laughs. And the first time I heard it, I, I was, I was surprised that I was surprised. And then I realized politicians don't laugh. And so I'm just like, <laughs> I like that about this guy. So he belly laughs and he's into policy. So <laughs> he's easily to me, the, the best Democrat out there. Uh, Charles Murray is also has, is interested in UBI. He put out a book about 12 years ago, and then there was a 10th anniversary edition that I picked up. His concern is twofold. One, he's written about welfare policy for a very long time and the uh, uh, detrimental effects on all sorts of in incentives for work, saving, family, et cetera, the impact on individuals, the effect on communities. His book, Coming Apart, I think is necessary reading uh, and, and what's happening in, for the classes uh, lower middle and middle versus uh, above and what just how things are shaking out there. So he's very influential there, but then also he's looking at the, just the growth of entitlement spending and that it, it just doesn't work, you know? And so if we're, you know, his angles are welfare and the unsustainable amount of spending. Uh, and so if that's the case, he says, look, we're going to be forced to do this. You know, maybe Yang's right, but 22 is, trillion yeah. in debt. So the debt, the entitlement spending, uh, the baby boomers retiring, uh, welfare spending, you know, Medicaid, Medicare, does, on and on. Is in the Yang proposal? Is he eliminating Social Security with that twelve thousand, ten thousand, or twelve thousand a year? Yeah, he he allows everyone, him and Murray both, I think, have an important provision, which is an opt an opt in provision. So no one's forced to this. So uh, Social Security would not disappear overnight; it would disappear. 30, 40 be, years ago, right? Yeah. The only uh, people that would that would not opt in 
uh, right away to the universal basic income idea are the people that are like like the seniors that are already on uh, Medicare and they've got their Social Security checks coming. Uh, they are obviously not going to opt yeah, into that's this. Fine. But uh, we continue to support them. Once and they on and on. are out of the way, then. I've said for years, if you <laughs> let me, years. Of, if you let me out of the Social Security program, I'll make that deal today. I'm 35, right. 36 years old. Um, well, Murray talks make, about. I'd make the deal today. If you let me out it, right now, you can keep everything I've put in, and I will. I'll save my money. Murray makes the case that the rate of return is so lousy that someone even into their early fifties is going to typically make that trade off. Yeah. But he says, you know, politically, we have to give people a choice. So Murray gets there through concern about welfare policy and concern about just the growth of government and says, look, at UBI is cheaper. And this is where the libertarian gets a little excited, right? So we're like, man, long-term, this is really nice. Even short-term, you're telling me it's cheaper to do this, and, and that's got to make a libertarian happier. Right, and it, because it's uh, the reason that it, that it is cheaper, uh, I have a couple of numbers here in the show notes that – uh, right, right down here in the universal basic income section, the total spending on the average family on welfare, it comes to about $168 a day from the federal government. The total amount of money that they receive from in, in welfare packages is about $25 a day. So uh, what, uh, what the argument on Yang's side and Murray's side is, we are cutting all of this overhead, right? There's no more of the bloated bureaucracy. It's not... Uh, flowing through all these different channels before it gets to you and thousands of people have to be paid before it gets to the people that need the money. So we could actually do this. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on was um, how how Yang plans to actually pay for this, the the freedom dividend that he proposes, and it was a, a value-added tax, uh, which yeah, so is Yang, interesting. Yeah, Yang wants to not cut as many programs, therefore he would have to add a tax. Murray yeah. is wanting to get rid of get rid of all the programs uh, and then you don't have to do the, the new tax. Yeah. So the value added tax is uh, something every time you take in manufacturing, every time you add something, you add value to something, you add yep. an additional tax and it's a, it's a European model. Um, yeah. And we've talked, it's been discussed and never been seriously discussed as a public policy, but it's been discussed uh, for replacing the income tax. Perhaps. The, uh, what I found was that, and this is all from, Yang's policy pages because you go to the man's website like we were talking earlier about the policy side is it's just pages of um, pages of super super detailed policy uh, even down to his views on circumcision yeah. are on his website and his view is I don't like it, but, like the, but you can do what you want. And right. It's like, why is that on your website? Just <laughs> do it, people. There's, there's, 20, there's 22 Democrats. Sometimes you need a tiebreaker. I don't know where Elizabeth Warren is on there's circumcision. A, uh, there's a great video on, on YouTube. Just do it. Chase <laughs> just doesn't want anybody to feel weird in the locker room. <laughs> there's a great video on YouTube. I don't YouTube. want that eye staring back at me, okay? <laughs> and it, the, the, This is what Dr. Eric Schantz yes. signed up for yeah. today yeah. Right. and drove... Two and a half hours north. <laughs> Chase to the man who has a PhD in economics from Texas A and M wants wants to hear about Chase's views on circumcision. <laughs> and we promise but, that we're gonna have fun. But anyway, there's a great video on YouTube about, uh, uh, and it is Andrew Yang versus Pete Buttigieg on policy, hmm. and it is uh, basically Andrew Yang going through. Like countless interviews of his policy proposals, and then Pete Buttigieg going, "I'm a gay man." Yeah, it's it's hilarious. I I've thought about posting it a few times, mm. but 
Anyway, the the uh, what I found on Andrew Yang's website is that 160 different countries in the world already have a value added tax. Um, Europe has an average uh, value added tax of 20 percent, and he is going to propose a 10 percent, so mm-hmm. half of the European model. <clears throat> the yeah. uh, the income tax started out real small too. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm totally not in favor of the <laughs> yeah. value added tax, but yeah, I just wanted that, to put that would be a deal killer for me. I mean, yeah. I don't I don't want to do that any more spending. I don't want to you know. A, you know, this has to replace virtually everything except for the opt-in provision. So I'm not a fan of that. But the thing is, is whenever you're looking at candidates and especially ones like Yang, who has such detailed policy proposals, I think you need to look at them and think about what's the debate going to be like and how is his, how is this specific piece of legislation going to be formed by the public debate and the the debate in the Congress of how this actually gets implemented, right. if it gets set to that point? And I think that Yang, listening to him in interviews and looking at his website and everything I know about him, is that he he's got this sensible approach and he's got this open-minded approach to where, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm going to start out with this robust proposal and then things are going to get whittled away right. as I learn how it can actually be added into American culture. Yeah. One thing that he doesn't catch, which really surprises me, I can't remember if I put this in the essay or not, but he's always, he's concerned about all these jobs leaving. Well, if you cut all the bureaucracy, he did put this in the essay. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to lose a lot of bureaucratic jobs. There's federal yeah. guys that are on yeah. the curb, yeah. right? So it's just funny that he's, you know, kind of apocalyptic about all the truck drivers, but he's not, doesn't seem to catch the, the fact that you have all these government workers and government workers can be productive doing other things. Um, insert your own joke here. Maybe yeah. I don't know, but, <laughs> but many of them, many of them would be productive. And so it'd be, it'd be, a, you know, I mean, the thing of the people writing code to yeah. do the things you're talking about, I mean, whatever there, there's a range of productivity in the government and it'd be kind of nice to free that up, but there is an apocalyptic element of his proposal in that for him and Murray, that he would eliminate a lot of those well, jobs. Okay. So think about that. They could always go and uh, work in other places for the government because if all of a sudden we do have entire fleets of millions of driverless trucks, then our infrastructure is going to have to vastly improve. And we have to regulate the hell yeah. out of those computers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but some, one other topic that I wanted to cover or facet that I facet of, um, it's not faucet. It's facet, Dakota. Um, well, uh, faucet of that, yeah. <laughs> two facet of two the, separate words, man. <laughs> one water comes out of and one is uh, a, a perspective. One other facet of your uh, column, Eric, is that the disincentive for making more money is gone. Yeah. If you put this in, no matter how much money you make, you're going to get this $10,000 or $12,000 a year. So right now you have an incentive to have a single income home or you have the incentive to... Um, to not make too much money or else you yep. start to go backwards economically and you penalize yourself. In this case, everybody gets it mm-hmm. and you still have the incentive to work that extra job like Chase and and do whatever it takes to get $15 shoved down your shirt. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, that's, that's the fascinating part yeah. of this is it so, doesn't, it, it's not encouraging as quote, unquote, bad behavior. Well, it still or, does a bit. So economists talk about two things. I won't give you the t- technical terms, but if I just give you $10,000, I'm disincentivizing you to work. Yep. Right. So uh, economists call that an income effect. If I hand you a bunch of income, you're not as likely to work. So that part doesn't go away, but you have that right now. So that's, that's a wash. So the gain is when you quit taking money away from people when they earn more money. That's the problem. 
So with the current system, the take back rate for government averages 80 to 90%. So if you earn $1,000, the government's typically going to reduce your benefits by 800 to $900. And there are many cases where your benefits are reduced by more than $1,000. We'll take your health insurance. We'll do whatever. And so that, that, that provides, that's the tremendous disincentive that we're getting rid of. The income effect part stays. If I just hand you cash, I'm still disincentivizing you, but that stays the same. It's that take back rate, getting rid of that or reducing that, that would get economists and I think libertarians excited. Yeah. Um, one, one of the things in, in your article that really peeked out at me was that, uh, towards the end of, of the article, you, you say that this would incentivize, or Murray rather makes the argument that this would incentivize two parent household structures. Um, can you dive into that? Yeah, uh, like same, his- same thing. I mean, you know, the, the current programs are set up where, okay, if you have a kid and you're married, I'm not going to give you anything. But if you have a kid and you're not married, I'll give you money. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's not like that drives all of that decision, but at the margin, that's going to move well, people it, it, to it, not forming families or breaking right. up families. Or And he talks about how guys will live off the women because they know that they have the monies coming in. And so the UBI frees it up. Right. He, he has a really interesting section where he says, look, if the guy receives X dollars and everyone knows he receives X dollars, that changes the way you look at him <coughs> and that you expect him now to contribute. Because before you go, well, I don't have a job. Well, you have a freedom dividend. And so there's he, he argues there'll be this change of expectations. But at minimum, you're taking away the disincentive for family formation. Right. What's the um, the logic in the amount per month in the freedom dividend? Is that uh, getting bring you up to the poverty line? Because I know in the when the fair tax was talked about ten fifteen years ago, they would untax you up to the poverty line. Twelve thousand dollars a year for an individual doesn't really get you to that point. But is it is that equate to an average spending or what you would expect to be paying in in in, in a safety net? What's how did they arrive at that number? Yeah, Murray just uses that as a round number, and then he also throws in catastrophic health care, which is interesting, yeah, the dynamics does. of that. So he says it's 10000 plus 3000 for catastrophic health care. Um, he doesn't want it to be a lot. You know, the other thing is we're talking about federal programs. So if a state says 10000 is not enough, a state would be perfectly fine to supplement however they see fit. If they want to do their own food the, stamp program. The state or, or of they California can, do, can have any program they that's want right. to. So they could go another $10,000, or they could have food stamps or... Yeah. And maybe high cost of living states, you know, say, well, we're in Massachusetts, the state government will kick in. But at the federal level, we're just doing 10,000, keep it simple. And then it'd be adjusted by inflation after that. All right. Fascinating. Yeah, that is really interesting. I think the other thing that's really important, and this is a difference between Yang and Murray, Yang uh, argues it should start at age 18. Murray's very careful to say age 21. 21. That you don't yeah. want people the new to graduate age. from high school and start getting ten thousand dollars. Right, that's not a good idea and, for. And the argument is, is that I could have had a, a lot of fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's well, the point. and that's the argument is that a lot of, of bad habits, right. uh, stupid decision making, uh, happen between the ages of eighteen and uh, you know twenty three. Usually, actually, I'm right on the end curve of making stupid decisions. Oh no! I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. I still consider stupid decisions all the time. I'm just lazier and not don't do them. Now. There goes my hope. Uh, say sorry to my wife. <laughs> so be like this forever, Chase. You're not a policy wonk, right? We've never no. we've never established about you. 
He works. Too I did often. consider <laughs> studying politics my first year of college, and what? then I was like, "You did no. You wanted to be a politician. Yeah. What? Like, yeah, no. What would twelve thousand dollars in automatic money coming to you mean? What would what, would that change your life? Would you do things differently? Would you quit your second job? No, but <laughs> it'd help out. <laughs> But you wouldn't quit your other job. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to quit my other job now. But like, no, I mean, it's not. I don't think it's going to like. You're not going to be able to live on twelve thousand dollars, right. but it'll help help yeah. you out. Here's that's, that's what he says too. I mean, a lot of people might work part time and kind of live on ten plus yeah. five. Okay, that's not yeah. ideal, but it's better than what we have now. In theory. You might have more entrepreneurs come out of this, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a little bit of a safety net. So if you're in your 20s, you're 22, 23, maybe you will start a business. And so many people work in a job because it comes with insurance. Mm-hmm. This is the conversation to start to have as, a, as we have of this single-payer conversation that uh, from the Liberty side, we're not particularly in favor of this. But your your health insurance since World War II has generally been tied to your employment. Yep. So you don't have the incentive to start something on your own. Dakota, you don't have the incentive. I don't have the incentive to start my own business, especially if you have a young family on the way or if you already have a young family. You're you're living in some fear that, man, I've got this job now and I've got security, so you're not going to take that risk. Right. If you're 23 – you don't have a family yet, you and you've got catastrophic health insurance, and you've got twelve grand a year. You could try some stuff, and you're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got that Especially, opportunity. Yeah, you're married, so now all of a sudden you have twenty four thousand dollars a year, and you know it. You can, I, I've, yeah, I've thought about it a lot because I I've said multiple times on this show that my childhood dream was to become a a, a traditional type blacksmith. Like that's what I've always wanted to do since I was. Eight years old and went to Connor Perry. And YouTube celebrity. Yeah, and a YouTube celebrity. Well, we checked that box. Yeah, I'm already there. So, but <laughs> I, I, it's like I, I, did, I first learned about this. I'm like, so wait a minute. I'm, I'm getting a thousand dollars a month no matter what. My wife is getting a thousand dollars a month no matter what. And would that open the door for me to? Okay, I'm actually going to, to stop my day job. And and work on the thing that I think would be the most fulfilling in my life, and try to make a live an actual living to replace my income now off of that. I I, I think that there's a lot of people like that in the world. So I I don't know. It, and I would think that work? Yang, I know Murray, and I think Yang also make a case for kind of a lower e lowercase e entrepreneurship that people would be more likely to move where jobs are mobility mobility yeah. so that's another big point they make that you know we, we have areas that are depressed and areas that are doing fun and we're like why don't you just move well it's not that easy i don't have any money i don't need networking i don't have any whatever but if i had this the safety net people would be more likely to go so I, I think you can make the case that it that it uh you know lubes the system a little bit and gets people some of the the fixity out of it and people can actually move a little more easily so one of uh something that's interesting about that the uh Indiana Talks Internet Radio Network, which I don't know if we're on there on the weekends or not anymore. I haven't kept up with it. But anyway, they posted an article that was uh, written today, and the title of it was called Midwest Midwest Exit. So it was a, a play on Brexit. And hmm. uh, this uh, the author of the article was talking about uh, a lot of young people have been... Have been leaving Indiana and surrounding states and going to the coastal cities, California, Boston, New York City, wherever, 
and uh, trying to make it out there because there's uh, smaller companies. They feel like they can be more creative, what have you. And they, the author of this article um, cited a study from Indiana University that said that the amount of labor in the workforce is projected to be less than that, exactly 50% less than what it was in the mid-1990s in 2030, I think is what the projection was. In Indiana? In Indiana, yeah. And so the argument was because this author put out multiple polls on different social media sites and said, if you left, why did you leave? If you have stayed, why did you stay? What they found was left for more opportunity, uh, could pursue my creative goals, blah, blah, blah. And why I stayed, um, they were saying stayed because of, um, I have a mortgage, I'm in debt. Uh, my job has healthcare, um, all not very good. Like, like I just love Indiana. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that. I hope it'd be family or climate. Yeah, exactly. And and it was all like, I can't leave. I can't leave. I'm stuck here because of these reasons. So I, uh, it's interesting that you brought that up, uh, between both of the policy proposals, because I think that, that, uh, we're, we're seeing that, especially in these flyover states. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, For what it's, just, it's worth. It, it's just going to make Indiana even, <laughs> even more depressed. Uh, You're going to put $12,000 in my pocket? I'll take it. <laughs> uh, so now, it I don't think it would make me more depressed. I, th- I would no, no, live no, no, in no, Indiana. No, 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 not individuals. I'm saying that you, you could theoretically have more people move to Florida or mm. Arizona or places that have, you know, I Texas, wouldn't. places that the economy is, is moving, growing faster. I uh, love Indiana. Warmer I love the places. States. I love everything about this I state. believe Indiana or not Indiana, I think Indiana University uh, put out a county-by-county map this week of population growth or decline. Hmm. Um, And it's really based upon, you know, Indiana as as a whole isn't growing, growing. Every county isn't growing, but the major municipal areas are what's growing. So Louisville's growing. Chicago, to an extent, is is growing. Lake County isn't, but Porter County is. Um, And Indianapolis and the surrounding area are growing, but the, yep. the state, you know, the rural areas, every it's not carte blanche that everybody's growing all 92 counties. Henry County actually is trending upward, which is an amazing thing and not by much, but oh, we're actually gaining population right now. Um, it just seems some it, more industrial growth over here. We, we've seen things trending up. Illinois has been struggling, but the state of Indiana has been moving up, but it's not the whole state. It's, it's individual pockets. Mm. Um, so it's just an interesting conversation and you look at a, a major policy like this and it could, this is one of those once in a generation changes, maybe right. once every century changes. If this happened, um, you know, a lot of the policies that we work with now that we talked to at the beginning, the top of the show about social, the socialists, 1920 and the new deal. Um, that's, this is the kind of thing you're talking about. It's the, the modern version of that. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you think about what it would be like to just, let's say 30 years from now, not have any social security, not, I mean, just, I mean, that's radical. Um, And so if if this gets us to a world like that and less expensive and the safety net that Yang's concerned about, you know, I mean, to me, it's a, uh, these are the kinds of steps we're going to have to take at some point. Uh, I've, I've had a discussion, you know, when I served on the Memorial park board, our biggest cost was labor Uh, and, and, costs associated with people that we had uh, have on staff or had on staff 
legacy costs are something that corporations have been able to get rid of over time with the switching from pensions to mm-hmm. 401ks. Government has not done a good job of that. Yep. Um, and that's the big looming cost that's out there. In fact, government has taken them on and has taken responsibility for them. I would much rather see us just bite the biggest bullet ever and borrow ourselves up to our ears and buy out every single public pension and every social security and get out of that business and be 55 trillion in debt. Uh, Some ridiculous number, but stem the bleeding, pay it down. And then everybody controls their own individual. Is it, that's way too radical to happen, but on a County by County basis, I mean, that's the kind of thing when I, when a company is sold, you get an offer on your pension, right? And you get, you get bought out. That's what happens in the private sector. That's the kind of major, step that we need to take from the public policy side mm-hmm. and you do that and all of a sudden you're not you're not screwing over the next generation right as bad Th- those are the kinds of things that i want to see happen but that's that's as extreme as you know that that's that's not the art of the possible that's the dream yeah don't you agree chase so is this uh, wholeheartedly <laughs> is this like um I'm talking about the freedom dividend or ubi the freedom dividend is a pretty good spin on the name yeah. i think but um that's it, the is that's this, yang's title for it yeah the freedom yeah. dividend is what he's calling it now um is this uh the most exciting proposal that you're seeing in the upcoming 2020 presidential election yeah i, I you know again i'm just thankful for any talk about policy that's meaningful real and not and just substantial some, yeah a tool to just beat people in the head with just <laughs> think about how much money you'd have if all the gillenbrand if gillenbrand's thing passed and you got 600 bucks from every libertarian in the state yeah of free government money <laughs> if it would change anything. of government coupons <laughs> it's funny when you hear him talk about you know getting money out of politics like that's ever going to happen so yeah it's like yeah. that's a, that's a pipe dream money is speech so this uh, <laughs> this portion of the show talking about universal basic income is going to be a uh, or it is right now if you're listening to it a a we are libertarians daily episode so um, appreciate you Eric for uh, talking to us about it um, if you are listening on the we are libertarians daily portion of the show then you can check out uh, us at bosshogofliberty dot com. We are a local podcast in Newcastle, but uh, we like to say we are local stories with a national impact. Of course, this one was obviously much more national than local. But appreciate all your expertise that you brought to this subject for sure, Eric. Yeah, glad 